Hello and welcome to Gradcast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students. I'm Navneet and I'm here with my co-host Tanya. Hello. Hey Tanya. And today we have our guest Matthew Fagan. How's it going Matthew? It's going very well. Thank you for having me. We're here chatting with Matt about his research on the benefits of physical activity and smoking cessation. So Matt this is a disclaimer. I don't think we've had anyone with a topic like yours, so this is very exciting for us. So tell us a little bit about what you do. Um, well, I am in my second year of my master's um, in uh, kinesiology, like was said previous, um, under the supervision of Dr. Harry Papavesis. And my research is looking at the acute effects of exercise and nicotine on cognition and more specifically working memory. Cool. So let's backtrack. What is acute exercise? So acute exercise is a single exercise bout and in comparison to an exercise regimen that would be long term over, let's say, 12 weeks. Interesting. And then you then said that you're looking at it on cognition. So what does that exactly mean? So cognition is kind of like an umbrella term for what's happening in the brain. And working memory is more specifically or defined as the cognitive process responsible for tempor temporarily storing information and um, allowing it to be available for processing. So like something right on the top of my head when I have to recall something. Yes, that's, it. that's exactly it. And the... Um, Longest that somebody would have to remember something for our outcome measure or my outcome measure, which is the NBAC task, uh, would be nine seconds, uh, which sounds very easy, but I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later, um, can actually be quite challenging. So to bring it to our audience, just in the most general terms, you're looking at the difference or maybe not between nicotine and acute exercise on short-term memory. Um. Yeah. So... Essentially, uh, sh short-term memory and working memory are a little bit different. Okay. So working memory is, um, I guess you could kind of think about it as like very short-term, short-term memory. Very short-term. Um, short because term. it's not really going into storage for recall, let's say, at another day or even another hour. It's, like I was saying earlier, uh, at the most nine seconds. Mm -hmm. um, so... We're kind of looking to see if moderate intensity exercise will provide a benefit to this process, as well as if nicotine will provide a benefit um, on working memory as well. Is that yeah, that definitely makes sense. And I guess that's important to know because for a general audience, when we think short, we think immediate. But short doesn't necessarily mean just recently. Like you said, it could be the next day or the day after, whereas working is that immediate effect. Yes, that's, that's exactly the way to think about it. Perfect. All right. So I just want to backtrack a little bit about how you mentioned uh, that exercise and nicotine might affect cognition. So is that in a smoking, is that in a regular smoker or in, you know, in, in an individual who, who has never smoked in his life? Like, are you looking at both? So that's a great question. So previous um, or previously done in my lab, uh, a student by the name of Stephen, uh, he's a graduated master student now, actually looked at the effects of uh, an acute bout of exercise and nicotine in a non-smoking population. And he actually found that there were benefits for smoke or for nicotine in the non-smoking population as well as exercise in the non-smoking population for accuracy. So that is um, how like frequently how you're making errors. Mm -hmm. Um, so there was a benefit from both exercise and nicotine, 
And in reaction time, he actually found that exercise were, was the only one to have a significant um, decrease. So you were actually getting faster through exercise, um, where it, in nicotine, you didn't get faster. That makes um, sense. So in a non-smoking population, exercise actually did a little better than nicotine. But nicotine still helped. So I would imagine that nicotine helps with like when you're working on something like a slow process. Is that is that probably why writers prefer to smoke while they write? Um, I'm not sure the answer to that question specifically, but um, nicotine does have um, a lot of the effects such as uh, dopamine and it increases uh, like glutamate um, when these are all uh, neurotransmitters that uh, have different effects on the brain, and especially mm. glutamate has like a learning and memory effect. Mm-hmm. So um, that is possibly a reason why uh, people in like creative process may um, choose to smoke. But that is also uh, not exactly my research. So that's just kind All of right. an opinion. <laughs> <laughs> so. Like, I guess this is a little bit tricky because we know the negative effects of nicotine. So your goal, or I guess, what's your hypothesis? What do you hope to find in your research? And I know you already have the results. So what did you want to find at least? Okay, so perfect. So I guess um, we'll take one step back and kind of discuss what my research really is because I don't think we we really got into that quite yet. Yeah, for sure. So as I said earlier, um, a previous colleague looked at... um, the moderate intensity exercise effects and the nicotine effects in a non-smoking population. So now I'm bringing this idea to a smoking population. Mm -hmm. So um, essentially I'm having smokers uh, come into the lab and they are going to do a baseline cognitive assessment and then they will be given um, either the exercise intervention, which is something like a 20, well, it is a 20 minute bout of uh, moderate intensity exercise, which is defined as 45 to 65% of your heart rate max. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's like a, a brisk walk. So that's kind of a misconception right off the bat. Modern intensity exercise is um, very capable, mm-hmm. or people are very capable of doing moderate intensity exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, and then the nicotine group, um, they will smoke a cigarette of their choice to completion. Um, and then Immediately following each of those interventions, they're also uh, doing a cognitive assessment, and we're trying to uh, kind of see the cognitive effects of a moderate intensity exercise bout and a nicotine inhalation. Uh, So back to your question, the hypothesis. Um, So our hypothesis are that um, individuals who are smoking and non-deprived, so they're coming into the lab smoking at will, there will be a cognitive performance benefit from the moderate intensity exercise and the nicotine inhalation, um, but there will be no differences in uh, or between those two groups. So there will, won't be a difference between the moderate intensity exercise group and the nicotine group. So they're both benefiting the same. They're both. Okay. And so this is similar to what the previous student found in the non-smoking population. Um, exactly. So that's um, the, the only difference from what uh, the previous student found and to my hypotheses is that we're not expecting exercise to outperform nicotine, which mm-hmm. he found. That also was not his hypothesis, but that was something that was found. We decided that when looking at a smoking population, that it would be 
extremely promising if those results held. Mm-hmm. But we still think that um, a, a great result would be just the similar uh, enhancement as opposed to exercise actually doing better than nicotine. Mm-hmm. Could you elaborate on that? Why would that also still be a great result if nicotine and exercise are performing the same way? Um, okay, so that would be a great result essentially because the benefits of exercise outweigh the other benefits of nicotine, which are slim and to none, to none exactly. <laughs> Where exercise, there's an array of them, and um, we didn't quite get onto this yet, but. Um, I also have a phase two of my study where the individuals are coming in nicotine deprived. And this is where um, having exercise and nicotine do uh, similarly well really comes uh, to the light, I I would say. Mm -hmm. So essentially what we're saying there is when individuals are coming into uh, the lab for phase two, they're actually deprived of nicotine for 12 hours. Mm -hmm. So... They come in and they're doing a cognitive assessment. And um, just through the literature, you know that cravings and cognitive de- uh, decrements are actually two of the leading causes of uh, smoking initiation um, during smoking cessation. So that's kind of a wordy sentence, but mm-hmm. is. But it's just a craving for another smoke. Uh, yeah, and the cognitive impairments that arise during um, that quit attempt as well. So we're trying to prove that, or we're trying to show that um, with a moderate intensity exercise bout um, and nicotine, that you can ar- essentially erase these cognitive impairments that are shown through the 12 hours back to their baseline levels from phase one, which is when they were non-deprived. And they were non-deprived. So it's almost okay. like without giving them that cigarette, you will bring them back to those levels because it, they got to exercise. Exactly. So um, the reason that we're doing um, kind of like the series of studies is it hasn't been looked at how exercise is going to affect the smoker when they are non-deprived. So it would be almost like skipping a step if we just went to depriving them mm-hmm. and giving them exercise. It, it doesn't really make sense that way. So... Logistically, you kind of have to do the non-deprived right. um, stage first. Right. So then in the deprivation stage, I guess, is there any research suggesting then that exercise could be used to help them completely quit or at least prevent cravings? Um, yeah, absolutely. So uh, cognitive function hasn't really been studied as much in the deprived state, um, but cravings and withdrawal symptoms definitely have. Okay. So there has been or there have been studies shown uh, that through a 20-minute moderate-intensity exercise bout, so that's the brisk walking that we were talking about earlier, um, that cravings and withdrawal symptoms are uh, decreased. So right. that bodes well for um, actual cessation programs in the future. So this will kind of be just another mechanistic pathway uh, for uh, developing long-term cessation programs. Awesome. Mm-hmm. So could you just step back and... Like go into more details about your methods and your experimental setup, because I'm just I'm I just can't imagine what do you, I was in how are your participants smoking or 
Where do they go to school? Okay, exactly. So this is this is perfect. So I'll uh, I'll lay it out a little bit better because I was kind of all over the place bringing phase one and phase two. No, no, it made perfect sense. Um, so um, so phase one is uh, designed with within subject counterbalanced. So essentially, the participants will come into the lab. Um, they will do a cognitive assessment, and that's like it's a computer task. Um, right. We can go a little bit deeper into it, but we'll just mm-hmm. stay with the methods for now. Um, then they will they're either randomized into the nicotine inhalation group or the exercise group first. If uh, let's just say for they get ex- or they randomized into the exercise group, so they will complete the twenty minute bout of exercise. Then immediately following the bout, they will complete a, a cognitive assessment again. Uh, immediately following that cognitive assessment, they will um, have a cigarette. Immediately following the cigarette, they will do the cognitive assessment again. So that would be phase one, and they would be done. They would go home. Um, we um, ask that they come in the next day uh, following a 12-hour period of abstinence. So they will uh, hopefully go to s- uh, have their last cigarette around 8 p.m. and come into the lab around 8 a.m., so this is just because it's easier to not smoke while you're sleeping as opposed to while you're awake. That's Good point. Um, so they will come back into the lab the next morning, hopefully, and they will do a deprived baseline assessment with the same cognitive task, and then they will be randomized into either the moderate intensity exercise group or the nicotine inhalation group, not both this time, just All because right. if you were obviously... Um, randomized into the nicotine inhalation group, you are no longer non-deprived. Right. Um, so uh, you have to split up that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it is important to note that there is a practice phase embedded into the cognitive assessment program, um, essentially because if you didn't have that, if you were having these cognitive assessments in uh, such quick succession, you would likely see an increase regardless of the intervention. So um, what what does that mean? To okay, do so practice phase? so the practice phase is embedded in the cognitive assessment in uh, phase one of the baseline assessment. Mm-hmm. So this essentially familiarizes the participants with the cognitive assessment. So um, they're reaching a score that um, is deemed adequate that they know what's going on, essentially. Uh, basically, you don't want somebody their first time doing it, just not know how to do it. And then the only reason they're improving is because they're doing it more. Exactly. Okay. So so this, um, essentially, the practice phase is making sure that that isn't the reason Perfect. we're getting the results we are. Mm-hmm. And so if they're put into the group, like, like you said, in the second phase, they're in one or the other, they don't get to do both at any point then? They just have one or the other? Yes, they just have one or the other, and we're just comparing between groups and not within groups at, not within at that groups. point okay. for phase two. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so when you ask your participants to abstain from a cigarette, uh, how do you make sure that they have actually abstained and that they aren't just sneaking in a cigarette at night? So that's a great question. So um, the lab that I'm a part of right now actually has what's called a smokalizer. So this is um, an indirect measure of smoking. So when I say indirect, it's not actually measuring nicotine or uh, cotine, which is the metabolic equivalent of uh, nicotine. It's measuring carbon monoxide in the exhaled breath. And essentially, if you are abstaining from smoking for 12 hours, you will have a reading below 10 parts per million. So um, 
participants right. can't trick us that way. Sweet. <laughs> So it's a lot like a breath analyzer, but... Yeah, you can kind of think about it as like a breathalyzer for alcohol, Mm -hmm. but it's for carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, all right. Which indirectly looks at um, nicotine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Or smoking in general, yeah. Yeah. So now we're, you're coming towards the end of your program, so you actually have results to share with us. Uh, I actually do, and it's it's very exciting. And if I get a little bit loud and giddish, I'm sh- I hope that you guys will calm <laughs> me down. Um, so uh, what we've actually found is in phase one, um, both the nicotine and the exercise group are doing better than their baseline assessments. Um, So this is in accuracy. So they are getting more accurate um, through the nicotine inhalation as well as the exercise. But nicotine inhalation isn't outperforming exercise in um, the cognitive enhancement. And in reaction time, there actually isn't a difference from baseline. So this essentially means that they're getting more accurate without a detriment in time. So with the same speed, they are doing better, which is a phenomenal result for uh, a smoking population and modern intensity exercise. Right, and that's and just to remind everyone, that's when they were not deprived. This is their normal, their normal day. They came in and did these tests. Yeah, so that was when they were non-deprived, mm-hmm. and then um, so that that was that was a great result. Mm-hmm. Um, and for phase two, um, we have. Um, a small uh, power issue that we're trying to resolve with more participants right now. Um, So there isn't any significant findings, but things are trending in uh, the realm of uh, their deprived baseline scores are much worse than their baseline assessments. Okay. Um, So they're non-deprived baseline assessments. Okay. And... Um, after having one of the interventions, so either nicotine inhalation or the moderate intensity exercise, they are um, getting back up towards that baseline or their non-deprived baseline. So this means they're coming in for that second phase and doing worse than when they even started the first phase. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, and that is uh, due to the fact that they are going through like cravings, withdrawals, and cognitive impairments due to... Um, remaining abstinent for the 12 Mm -hmm. hours. Mm -hmm. But even if you still see an improvement, that's still showing benefit of exercise, even if they're starting at a lower point, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just we are trying to um, show that exercise will be able to uh, bring it back to the baseline so they're Mm -hmm. not actually suffering the cognitive impairments um, seen with uh, initiating smoking cessation. Wow. Well, congratulations on getting those <laughs> results. Yeah, it's uh, it was very exciting, and I'm I, I couldn't be I couldn't be happier with it. Nice. <laughs> All right. So uh, I just want to compare your results with your friend Steve, who worked with uh, non-smokers. Yeah. So your friend Steve found that smoking and exercise worked equally worked well for non-smokers, but not in terms of accuracy. Um, so no, no. So he 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 found that um, in non-smokers, mm-hmm. um, exercise actually outperformed nicotine. Okay. Okay. So when I'm saying that, I'm saying that um, they both were more accurate. Mm-hmm. So both the nicotine and the exercise group were more accurate, but only exercise actually helped with reaction time. Reaction time. time. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Whereas in smokers, if they were regular smokers and they and they weren't abstained from smoking, 
mm, there was there wasn't any difference between okay so when they were non-deprived mm-hmm. smokers there were accuracy benefits for exercise and nicotine but there was no differences even from baseline so that means from when they first started right okay to either the exercise group or the nicotine group mm-hmm. um, or between the exercise group and the nicotine group. Mm. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is so? I mean, that's, that's just an unusual pattern. Why do you think that is? Um, I think it, it could be due to the fact that they are smokers. All so, right. um, and also the fact that... Um, that they just gotten used to smoking. So, as in the benefits of smoking doesn't... It doesn't show after a certain time, just like any other drug that your body gets used to. Um, well, that, that's actually kind of a misconception with nicotine. Mm-hmm. So nicotine actually doesn't have sensitizing effects for uh, cognition effects. All right. So you actually can't be sensitized, or most people do not show sensitization to that. That's okay. really interesting. Uh, I don't think a lot of people know that. Yeah, it's kind of like a just a neat fact. Yeah, um, <laughs> fun fact. But uh, I guess... Back to your question, I it's it's kind of hard to to pinpoint an answer for you right now as I, right. I'm just going through my preliminary That's analysis. Right. But I I think that you you do bring up an interesting point of of why they're not getting faster. I just mm-hmm. think that the task may be too cognitively demanding for them to not only get more accurate but to get faster as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I think it could be some sort of a trade off like that. Um, but I, I also think that nicotine in a non-smoking population, especially to people who, um, aren't used to nicotine at all Mm -hmm. for the first time, um, they could, um, actually have a, like some sort of ill effects to nicotine. So maybe that's why they didn't get as fast as the exercise group. That's that, right. That yeah, yeah no, that, yeah. that does make sense. Yeah, um, for so sure. that would just be kind of what I'm thinking about that. But mm-hmm. I'll obviously have to look further into that. So hopefully, if this gets published, you guys will have a better <laughs> description of that. So thinking big picture, if you based on the results that you have, uh, what would you want your audiences to know? So that means uh, people who smoke, people who are trying to help people quit. What would you want them? What message would you like to give? I guess. Um, I guess. The message that I would uh, want people to receive would be that um, if you know somebody or you yourself are going through a quit attempt, if you are feeling some sort of cravings or cognitive impairments due to that, that instead of picking up that cigarette and lighting it, you may have just um, as likely of a chance of getting relief from doing a quick brisk walk around your block for around 15 to 20 minutes and that will impact your health um, positively as opposed to uh, if you decide to have a cigarette and it will impact you negatively. Interesting. So, and that's a very important finding, especially as we know um, just the negative health effects that cigarettes have. And we also know that it's difficult to quit smoking. So that's very very important. (laughs) And now next big picture for you, I guess, since you're coming towards the end of your program, what's next for you and how do you navigate coming to the next phase? Uh, Great. I am looking to pursue a PhD um, in kinesiology slash 
the psychology realm. Um, I would like to work with exercise and mental health, so kind of staying in the line with addiction, um, but not limited to addiction. So I'm kind of open to the idea of just using exercise for um, something like depression or mental health or staying in addiction, like smoking cessation, or trying to bring, um, I guess, bring to the light maybe some sort of benefits to exercise in other types of addiction, such as like alcohol addiction or um, opiate or opiate addiction, uh, something like that. And I guess uh, you were asking how I'm kind of going about trying to Figure that out. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So I've uh, reached out to uh, a few potential supervisors so far, and um, I guess I'm in the stage now where I'm just kind of applying to schools and, um, yeah, hopefully get to kind of make the best fit choice for myself. That's really exciting. (laughs) And good luck, Matt. And uh, just before we go, if anybody wanted to reach out to you to learn a little bit more about your study or... um, how to apply for a PhD, what's the best way to contact you? Um, That'd be perfect. Uh, So the best way to contact me would be uh, at my email, which which is mfagan4 at uwo.ca. Fagan is spelled F-A-G-A-N. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be the best way, I would say. All right. It was great having you here, Matt. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. That was Matt Fagan joining us from the School of Kinesiology, finishing up his Master of Arts. Thank you again, Matt. I'm Tanya, and I'm joined with my co-host, Nav. And this is the official radio show of the Society of Graduate Students, GradCast. You can listen to us every Tuesday at 6 o'clock and catch up to any of our podcasts um, and previous shows on our website, gradcast.ca. And if you are doing research and are in grad school and would like to share that with us, with us please email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com. We'd love to have you. And if you would like to maybe even join the committee that's organizing everything you hear every Tuesday, same email address. We'd love to hear from you. And last but not least, uh, you can find the current GradCast committee hanging out in the Grad Club located in Middlesex College on November 24th at 3.30 p.m. until the night goes. Um, And we're there for a recruitment event. So if you'd like to join us, whether that be to join our show or to learn more about the committee, we'd love to see you at the Grad Club on November 24th.